of the message today is, what's the problem? What's the problem? I'm sure you've heard those words before. Uh, maybe, maybe more something like, what's the matter? What's the matter with you, huh? Or if you're from New York, you say it like that. What's the matter with you? What's the problem, huh? What's the problem? What's the problem? The problem is with humanity that we have a brokenness, as we've already talked about a little bit. We have a brokenness that is so deep within us that we rebel and reject the creator, his design for our lives, and we, we replace the worship of him with idols, with creation. And so in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul unpacks the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Mike Ward, Pastor Mike, did a great job last week in unpacking what that is, the uh, Romans uh, 1:16 and 17, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And so Pastor Mike last week just nailed it in explaining what is the gospel. And here at City Church, we are about the gospel. We, that is something that is central to who we are. It's central to the message that we proclaim. It's central to where our hope lies. Our hope is not in and of ourselves. Our hope is in Christ and his finished work and what he's done and what that means for us who believe. The gospel, as Pastor Mike explained last week, is the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he's accomplished for us, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and all that it entails, all that comes along with it. But to understand the good news, you and I first have to understand the bad news. To understand the good news, you've got to understand the bad news, and that's why... After Paul kind of gives that opening statement of, of, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I'm going to preach the gospel, it's the power of God, in it the righteousness of God is revealed, he goes in to unpack what the gospel is. But before he gets to the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4 and 5 and, 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 and then expounding and explaining what the gospel is, he first gives us some bad news. He gives us a backdrop. Of the bad news. He sets it up so, so that the hearers, the readers of this letter will hear and understand why the good news is so good. I mean, imagine if you go, you go to visit the doctor and you sit down. And as soon as you sit down, the doctor is giving you a prescription and says, go and take this. You're going to be all right. You'd be like, I didn't even tell you what's wrong with me. I didn't even tell you what's going on. You didn't even like look at me. You didn't ask me any questions you gave me no diagnosis, and you're trying to give me a prescription? And so many folks, they hear the gospel. They hear about Jesus dying for their sins. They hear the good news, and they're like, what's so good about that? What's the big deal about Jesus dying for my sins so I can be forgiven and restored and reconciled to God? And see, the problem is they first haven't grasped the bad news. They haven't heard the diagnosis that comes from God. God has a diagnosis for all humanity. And in the book of Romans, Paul expounds on that diagnosis on, on all of humanity, namely Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Well, in Romans 1.18, Paul starts to unpack the problem that humanity has, the problem of sin, the problem of rebellion against God. You see, we have a deep, deep disease problem within us that is, that is going to take more than just some, a prescription of cough medicine to treat the symptoms. We need more than just some antibiotics to kill some viral stuff going on, some stuff inside of us. We need open heart surgery Humanity needs open heart surgery. We need, we need chemotherapy to, 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 and treatment to just kill the cancer cells of sin within us. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1, 18 through 22, or 32, and if you would stand up with me as we read the Word of God together. If you don't have it with you, you can look on the screen. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed 
from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be made known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. (laughs) Though they know God's righteous decree that, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Amen. All God's people may be seated. This is a heavy portion of scripture, I know. Uh, Many people would love to tear this out of all the Bibles. Many pastors won't touch this passage of Scripture on a Sunday morning. And if they do, there are many who will do some mental gymnastics and try to reinterpret what this is clearly saying on the surface. Pastor Mike got to share the the gospel, the good news. Kevin's going to share, expound on the gospel this week. Sandwiched in between two emphases on the gospel I get to share the bad news, the problem. And I hope it's not too much of a downer. I hope you guys don't go home depressed and discouraged and just just walk around and say, woe is me, I'm just messed up. This world is just messed up. Because thankfully, God doesn't leave us without a solution. There is a solution. And, and we love to preach about that here. But to understand why the good news is so good, we need to understand the bad news. And how deep it has affected all of creation. How deep it has affected us. How deep it has affected our children. We're born in into this world with this sinful bent towards rebellion towards God. If you don't believe in, in the nature of sin coming that, that, that children are born with that sinful nature, just wait till you have children and they get to be about two or three years old. And you will all of a sudden believe that there is a sinful nature that these children have that you didn't, you didn't teach them to have it. They just have it because they're, they're sinners just like you. And one of the challenges of parenting as we looked at this week is the reality that, that parenting is one sinner training, leading, and instructing another sinner. That's, that's hard, right? you got one broken, fallen sinner instructing another sinner, but we have the help of God. So here's the big idea of where we're going this morning, that humanity has rejected their creator. They've rebelled against his design and replaced the worship of him for the worship of created things. Since God is righteous, he must punish this sin. 
God is a righteous and a holy God, and he must do something about it. So again, I know that these verses are tough. I know that these verses are weighty. I know that our culture does not like this kind of language, uh, uh, the, the talk about God's wrath, punishment, the talk about um, uh, there's, there's a whole list of sins uh, listed there. See, our problem as humanity is, is not global warming. Uh, it's not poverty. That, that's not our greatest problem. Those are problems, right? Those are issues that we're, that we're facing in the world. War, nuclear war, poverty, injustice, racism. Those are, those are all terrible things that, that we're facing in our day, right? But our deepest, greatest problem is that we have sinned against the holy God, that we are broken in and of ourselves. And, and all the, all, we, can, we can try to treat the symptoms of the problem, but, but we're just, we, can, we, we can just manage behavior and we can try to deal with the fruit, but God wants to deal with the root of the issue, and that's what the gospel does. And the root of the issue is that we've sinned against God. We're, we've rebelled against the holy God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness. Unrighteousness of men who by unrighteousness suppress the truth. So before I explain a little bit about the wrath of God and, and, and what that means and it being revealed, uh, let's just talk a little bit about sin and some of the descriptions here of humanity's sinfulness. Um, verse 18 talks about the suppressing of truth in unrighteousness. Okay, you've ever been in a swimming pool where you have a floaty or a beach ball and you hold it down under the water. You suppress it, right? Okay, men in their unrighteousness suppress the truth about who God is. They, they try to hold it down. They try to ignore it. Nobody wants to be accountable to somebody, right? Like we, we don't want that. We want to push that accountability and responsibility off. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. That's the nature of humanity, right? And, and, and so in that, that rebellion and bucking against God's authority in our lives, men suppress the truth. They hold it down. Um, verse 18 verse 19 there is failed worship see god has created all of us to be worshipers of him to to know him to be in right relationship with him to love him to walk with him and life is good when we're doing that you go back to adam and eve and life was good until they rebelled against god until they they tried to take things into their own hands and live life their own way be their own god and so humanity has failed to honor god verse 19 says for although they knew god they did not honor him as god or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened a futility of mind there's a darkened mind that comes along with this sinfulness and this brokenness the, the hearts are darkened uh, there is an exchange of God's glory for images of man. There's an exchange of, verse 25, exchange of the truth about God for a lie. Man has tried to deny the existence of God because they don't want to be accountable to their creator. There's, there's, a, there's a movement of atheists today. I enjoy talking to atheists, by the way. It's, 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 it's a fun conversation for me. Uh, but there's a lot of people who claim that they don't believe in God. They say they, they deny the existence of God. But Romans 1 tells us that within each person, there is this knowledge of God. There's this knowledge of God's existence. One, one evangelist uh, wrote a book and, and says God doesn't believe in atheists. God doesn't believe in atheists. There within us, within all of humanity, there is this sense that there must be a creator. There must be a designer. I mean, who looks at a beautiful sunset and stars, these huge balls of fire and then shooting stars going across and, 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 and the, the birth of a, of a new baby and, and, and the, the sunrise in the morning and, and, and just the, the, the beautiful things of life that we experience and see that have design and order and purpose? Who looks at something that has intricate design and says, nobody made that? 
that's just a coincidence. There was just this big explosion, and it just all kind of came together. Sometimes I'll, I'll tell atheists, when I'm talking with atheists, I'll, I'll say, you know, it takes a lot of faith to believe that order and design came out of chaos. Like, to, to believe the science books that would emphasize evolution and the big bang versus believing the bible's account that there's an intelligent designer behind all of this who created all this and sustains all this it makes sense and so you know sometimes uh when in talking to atheists they'll they'll say well you know you can't see god you know there's no proof of his existence and and i admit that it takes faith uh, that being a christian is a matter of faith and even the atheist I would, I would say that it takes faith for them. It's just faith in something or someone else, right? They're exercising faith just as being misdirected. It's unbelief in God, but faith in, in, in man's wisdom, right? The wisdom of this world. So God says that in, in Romans 1 here, that in creation that man can see uh, God's eternal power, verse 20, his eternal power and his divine nature. You look at creation and you see traces of God. There's, there's pointers, there's arrows, there's signposts saying there must be a creator. Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God. I mean, you, you look at the sky and you look at a sunset or a sunrise, even as a non-Christian growing up, I remember sitting on my roof and I was just, I was a mess. I was in immorality and drugs and, and I was not worshiping God, not following God. But I'd sit on my roof and I'd look up at the stars and inside of me there was this wonder. There was this, there was this sense that there must be some, someone out there. There must be something greater than just this, than what I'm experiencing here. In this life, and all of humanity has that sense within them, and I think atheists just simply deny that reality—the the reality of God. And so, uh, so I'll ask, you know, an atheist who says, "Well, prove to me that there's there's a God." I'll, well, I'll say, "Well, what proof?" I'll point to a building, or point to a car, or point to something that has design in it, and I'll say, "Well, what proof is there that there's a maker of that car there? Have you ever met them? Met the maker of the car?" Or that building? Did you meet the builders? Do you, do you know them? You don't. You just you see the building. There's design, and it would be foolishness to say there's no creator behind that. There's no creator behind that. And so, so Paul is describing humanity's condition, and and he's saying their their minds are darkened. Their their futile. Their hearts are darkened. Their minds are thinking futile thoughts. And then verse 25. There's a worship of the the creature. Rather than God, um, verse 26 and 27, and this is a big issue of our day, there's, there's homosexuality. You know, Paul lists a, a number of other sins as well. And this isn't, this isn't politically correct for me to be preaching this from the pulpit. But I'm, I'm not ashamed to proclaim what the Bible calls out as sin and calls right and what the Bible calls wrong. And the Bible calls homosexuality sin, just like adultery is sin or fornication is sin. And it's not, it's not God's design. It's not his intention for creation. Humanity rejects the design of the creator. And they think, well, I got a better way. It, we're, we're like, um, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, you know, I'll, take, I'll try to put something together without reading the instruction manual. And I'll think, I, I know better. I, I can figure this out. I can look at how the parts go together, where the screws go and the bolts go, and what goes where, and I can just kind of figure it out based on the design. And most of the time it works pretty good for me, you know. But then there's times where, like, putting together my children's bunk bed or, or, or other, there's some other things from Ikea, all those little Ikea things that come packed up, man. I love Ikea, but then you've got to put it together when you, get, when you bring those things home. And, and so, like, if you don't read the instructions, you might get all the way, you're, you're finished with what you were supposed to put together, but then, like, it's missing a piece that, you missed, a, like, a, one of the early steps, and so you have to redo it. You have to undo everything you already did, because you didn't just look over and read the instructions. And that's, that's the nature of humanity. We tend to reject the design of our Creator. He knows what's best 
for us. He knows how life works best. He knows what will hurt us. He knows what will be good for us, what would be good for our joy, what would be good for our health emotionally, spiritually, physically, what would be good for marriages, what would be good for families, for your children. God knows what works best because he's our creator. He's our designer. And it is, it is ultimate pride for humanity, little human beings like ants, saying to God the creator, we don't, we don't need to follow your ways. We know how to figure this out. We got this. God is all wise. He's all loving. He's all powerful. And he wants to help us be who he's called us to be and do what he's called us to do. Uh, so fail, there's failure to acknowledge God. Verse 28. Uh, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to the base mind. Um, just think about all the good things in life that God has given you, and he's given all of humanity, food, breath, family, all the, right now we got air condition working in this building, we got, there's comfortable seats to sit on, you got clothing on your body, you got health, right, there, there's so many good things, just graces and gifts in this life that God has freely given all of humanity, yet humanity says, forget you, God. I don't need you. I don't need your rules. I don't need relationship with you. I don't need your wisdom. I don't need what you have. And humanity tries to become their own God. And that's our problem. That's our problem. We think that we can do this. Paul's unpacking the bad news before he unpacks the good news. Uh, there's, there's a few words that the Bible uses for sin uh, one of them is, is sin, uh, which is translated sin. It's like harmate or whatever, uh, which means like miss the mark. Like you missed all have fallen short of the glory of God. Um, and all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So those of you who play sports, you shoot the basketball, you miss, you miss the mark. Okay. You, the, the aim, the goal was to make it in the hoop, right? All right. If you're, if you're shooting uh, archery, or a gun, you know, you're, you're going for the target, right? And so we as humanity have failed to give God glory. The mark is God's glory. Reflect God's glory as image bearers. We've been made in the image of God. We've been made for God. We've been made to reflect God, to fill this earth with his beauty, with his authority, with his love, with his faithfulness. And all of humanity has sinned. We've missed the mark of reflecting God well and then rendering thanks and praise and honor due to him. And that's, that's sin. Uh, there's also this concept in the Bible it's, uh, of transgression. Uh, so it's not just that we miss the mark as, as sinners, but we actually go past the mark. God says, hey, don't go past here. No trespassing. And we're like, Psh, I got this. We go past the mark. Like we, we transgress what the boundaries are. There's transgression. There's sin. There's transgression. There's iniquity, which is, I describe iniquity as this just bent towards um, unrighteousness and ungodliness. We're just, we're bent naturally within us. We're bent to be selfish people. We're thinking about our own selves, our own comfort, our own life. We're, we're, we're bent towards idolatry. As one theologian, John Calvin, says that, that the heart of humanity is an idol-making factory. See, within humanity, we, 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 we make these idols and we, we make these, these beautiful things with our hands and we worship them. We worship other people or, or ourselves. And it's not fun talking about sin. Right. It's not fun being confronted in your own sin. Uh, it's not fun as a parent. If you're a parent, it's not fun addressing the sin of seeing the sin of your children, addressing the sin of your children. Other people seeing the sin of your children is not fun. It's just not fun. Uh, but again, we are not left without hope. We're not with, left without a solution. At verse 29 through 31, Paul just gives this long list of, uh, I think it's like 21 
um, descriptions of sinfulness, unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, in envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. All you need to do is like turn on the news and you'll see all this. Just, just read some news articles. Turn on CNN and, and you'll see this stuff. It, it just it permeates our world. And so that's our greatest problem. One theologian, uh, Warren Wearsby, uh, breaks this down um, and calls this the, the four stages in man's devolution. devolution. Intelligence, so although they knew God, there's this knowledge about God. Uh, ignorance. They, they become futile in their thinking. Their hearts are darkened. Indulgence, they give themselves over to immorality. And then impenitence, there's this hardness of heart and this lack of response and willingness to turn away from sin. So th- this can help give you a biblical framework, a biblical worldview, a framework of how to see the world and how to see humanity. Because when you're talking with non-Christians, typically what you get when it comes to humanity is that we're all pretty good. We're not that bad. And we're getting better. We're really getting better. You know, we just clean ourselves up and we get more technology and make ourselves look better, dress nicer, clean clean ourselves up on the outside. But there is something deeply wrong with humanity. And we don't just need a moral makeover. We need resurrection life because we're dead inside spiritually. We need rebirth. We need regeneration. We need God's miracle working power doing surgery on our hearts and removing selfishness and putting in love. Removing greed and putting in generosity. Removing um, indulgence and putting in self-control. We need the Spirit of God to transform us from the inside out. And the gospel addresses that need. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about the wrath of God. If your theology of God has no place for the wrath of God, you might not be worshiping the God of the Bible. Say that again. If your theology has no place for the wrath of God, you might not be worshiping the God of the Bible. Now, I understand when we think of, of God being angry, that's, that's a negative thing, uh, at least in our minds, uh, because we associate anger with our own selfishness. We know anger, we know other people who get angry, and it's you know, for the wrong reasons. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, we're told in James 1, right? And so we think, well, anger is not good. Well, that's not true. That's not true. There, there's actually a legitimate time for humans to be angry, right? There's a time when it's legitimate for a human to be angry. We're told in the scripture, be angry and do not sin, right? So anger is not necessarily bad. So one, as I was trying to explain this to my, my, my son one time when, when he was, because that was his thinking, like, because we, we, when he gets upset, or when we're upset, we'll repent, we'll acknowledge, I'm sorry for getting upset. We, we call him an accountability when he gets, throws a fit and gets angry. Uh, so he's thinking, anger's bad. And so when, when he, I was telling him a story about Moses and the Israelites and how God got angry. And so he's like, what? God got angry? And so I had to, I had to take some time to explain to him, yes, God gets angry but there's nothing sinful or selfish about it. And so I, I, I used the song, that one of his favorites at the time, to explain it to him. You're rich and love and you're slow to anger. 10,000 reasons. God says, I'm the Lord gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God is, he's not just, he's not like this, an emotional guy that you that you have to walk on eggshells around because you don't know if he's going to blow up on you. He's not emotionally unstable and he's just going to uh, like schizophrenic and you know one day he's in a good mood, one day he's in a bad mood, or he, you know like he can't decide. I'm am I in a bad mood today or am I in a good mood today? Um, he's he he's gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Yet this verse says God. His wrath is revealed now 
towards unrighteousness and ungodliness. God has already determined that he is angry at sin and those who commit their lives to sinful practices. So we need to unpack this. What does this mean? What does the the wrath of God mean? So there's one sense where um, there's this this, hell, like eternal punishment. That's wrath. That's one sense of wrath. Uh, John the Baptist told the, the, the Pharisees they were coming to get baptized or coming, you know, coming out. And, and he's like, who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? There's judgment coming, right? And there's also this now, the, the way that Paul describes verse 18, it's this present. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So that's not, that's not a future tense thing. This is, this is happening right now. God, God's wrath is being revealed from heaven. So this is, here's a couple theologians of how they explain what this is. This is not an impulsive, John MacArthur says, this is not an impulsive outburst of anger aimed capriciously at, a, at people who God does not like. It is a settled, determined response of a righteous God against sin. Okay? This is a, a determined response of a righteous God against sin. One of the key things in Romans is the righteousness of God. How can God, a righteous and a holy God, accept the sinful people? He's angry at sin. He must punish sin. How can he forgive someone? How can a judge uh, have a murderer, a rapist, a thief, or you name whatever the, 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 cr- the crime is, and he's... Uh, on his seat, and he says, innocent. How could a judge, a good judge, a righteous judge, declare somebody who is clearly guilty innocent? So the book of Romans addresses this problem. God is a loving God, but he, he must punish sin. So uh, Mounts, another theologian, says, Robert Mounts, God's wrath is his divine pleasure with sin. We call it wrath because it shares certain basic characteristics of human wrath, but because it's God's wrath, it can have none of the sinful qualities of its analogical counterpart. Another theologian says that it's God's absolute opposition to all that is evil. God's wrath is being revealed right now against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So what does that look like? How is it being revealed? Uh, Verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28 describes how God is revealing that wrath. And it's described in these terms. God gave them up to impurity. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. God gave them up to a debased mind. Okay? So it's, it's like there's these sinners who are set in their ways, they're hardened of heart, they're, they're going their own way, and God says, okay, you want to live like that? I've already showed you what's right. I've sh- I've, there's, there's creation, you have a conscience within, within you, you know what's right, I've designed you to do what's right, and, and, and God says, okay, he, he gives up humanity to their sinfulness. That's a scary thing. Because God is the only one who can save us from our sinful patterns and our sinful practices. And we need him to be our savior. We need him to intervene and save us from ourselves and save us from our sins. We need him. And it's a scary thing where God just gives a person up to indulge and destroy themselves in a sinful and sinful lifestyles. Um, and, and then some of those lifestyles, one of the lifestyles described there is homosexuality, that there's, there's men with men committing shameful acts. There's women with women committing shameful acts. And, and I want to be, be careful here and, and the way I talk about it because I know that there's a lot of hurt associated with this topic because sin is just damaging. There's shame involved. There's hurt. Um, there, there's people here I know who have family members who are practicing homosexual lifestyles. And what do you do when it's somebody in your family that's practicing that lifestyle? How do you love that person and point that person to the Lord and try to, try to bring that person uh, to, to Christ when, it's, when it's, they've, they've given themselves to that lifestyle? 
the practicing that lifestyle. First of all, I, I, I think as Christians, we shouldn't, we shouldn't affirm that that lifestyle is good and righteous or acceptable because it's not. It's destructive. It's not normal. It's against how God's designed us as, as humanity. It doesn't, it violates who we are. And so, so I think, so let me, let me help just a little bit. And because I, I talked a little bit of how to, how to talk to an atheist and how I like to talk to an atheist. I reason with them about creation. I think in talking about the, the issue of homosexuality, I think you can do the same. Just reason with them lovingly about a gracious God and creator who has a good design for them, for those practicing that lifestyle, and that what they're doing is destroying themselves. They're going against the way that God has wired them. They're, they're hurting themselves. They're bringing uh, punishment or, or, or penalty on themselves. And some of the, some of the consequences of sexual immorality and homosexuality uh, or STDs and HIV, and, and so there's there's these these physical effects that are very damaging to those who practice those lifestyles. But there's hope. There's hope for the atheist. There's hope for the homosexual. There's hope for you and for me to find forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I I, I know there's there's some of us here who practice some of those old lifestyles of, of the list. That Paul gave and actually in chapter two. So so Paul seems to be addressing the Gentile Gentile lifestyle here, the Gentiles. And then in chapter two, Paul addresses the Jewish people. And he's like, you guys aren't any better than these Gentiles. You're you're not without excuse. Just You got the law and, you know, you go to church and you, you worship on Sabbath. And, and, and he says, you're you're without excuse, too. And he concludes in chapter three saying that we're all sinners. And we all need a savior, whether whether you are the super rebellious person indulging in immorality, gross immorality and and gross practices, or whether you're the squeaky clean religious person, super righteous externally. But inside you're you're mean, you're not gracious, you're not kind, you're judgmental and and, and you look down upon those, the, the prodigal sons, you know, who are out there wasting their inheritance we both we all need savior we all need jesus to be our savior whether we're religious squeaky clean we're not righteous in and of ourselves we need a righteousness that comes from somewhere else and that's what kevin's going to talk about next week so god's wrath is revealed by god giving people up to this lifestyle again this isn't this isn't my favorite topic to talk about uh, but we're, we're going to be faithful to preach what the Bible has there. We're not going to skip over important places of Scripture like this. So Paul says in Romans 1.20 that all of humanity is without excuse. Now you might say, well, what about the people on a remote, in a remote village on the other side of the world who've never heard the gospel? They've never heard about Jesus. Well, Paul says that because they have creation... There is evidence that there's a creator. There's, there's indicators. There's, there's signposts that there's a creator. His divine power, uh, his, uh, his power, his divine nature is revealed in creation. So they're without excuse. Now the problem is, is that revelation of creation is not enough to save a person. I've never, I, I don't think people come to Jesus because, you know, they saw a shooting star, Right? Now, there might be like this sense of, yeah, there must be a God, but I don't think somebody believes, well, Jesus died for my sins and was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, so I just need to put my faith in him so I can have eternal life. I don't think people come to that conclusion by seeing a sunset or a sunrise or a baby being born. Now, they might say, wow, there's a God, and he's awesome, but, but they need special revelation. They need something beyond natural revelation seen in creation. They need you and I to go to them and open up our mouths and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. How the creator stepped down into the brokenness of this creation that humanity brought on ourselves. And he 
suffered and died for us. He went to the grave. He was resurrected. They need you and I to tell them that message so that they can believe and then be saved. That's Romans 10. Paul says, how shall they call up, How shall they be saved if they, they haven't heard? How shall they hear if there's not a preacher? How shall there be a preacher if they're not sent? Church, I just want to say this. You're sent. When you walk out of these doors today, you're sent to go tell people about Jesus. Share the good news. Talk to them about the bad news, too. Explain why the good news is so good by expounding on the bad news as well. And so faith comes, Romans 10, um, 17. Faith comes by... I know you guys know this verse. Okay. Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? Hearing the word of God. Hearing the opinions of the preacher? No. No. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The word of God is preached. The gospel is proclaimed. And then faith arises in the heart of those who hear. And uh, all of humanity is without excuse because of creation, the witness of creation, also a conscience. Okay, th- I want to give you guys some framework. When you're talking with people about the Lord and you need some tools, you, you, kind of, you need a direction. Where do you start? Where do you go in, in witnessing and sharing the gospel with people? What do you appeal to when somebody says, well, I just I don't like religion. I don't need all that stuff. This is where I go. So many times, I'm, I'm, this is where I try to take a person in the conversation. One, I try to appeal to creation. Like, hey, let's look. There's a creator. There's a designer. And then I like to not just stay there, but I like to go for their conscience. Go around the intellect and go for the conscience. You see, atheism and the rejection of God isn't an in- intellectual thing ultimately. It's a, it's a heart thing. It's a moral thing. You see, man rejects the existence of God because there is a desire to justify sinful living, sinful practices. I've seen it over and over how people uh, will, will, because they're living in an adulterous relationship, they'll all of a sudden say, well, God's, God's okay with this. They'll, 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 they'll reason it and just come up with some very twisted thinking to try to justify their practices and they'll they will change their belief about god and shape a god in their own mental image to fit their sin that they don't want to give up and so so what i do is i'll i'll appeal to the conscience i'll go for the heart and the conscience and you can do this simply by by talking about sin talking about the ten commandments have you ever told a lie before because most people will say, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I've never murdered anybody. I'm not like Hitler or Kim Jong-un or whatever. I'm, I'm not too bad. But then you just you reason with them. You ever told a lie before? Yeah. What does that make you if you've lied? A liar, I guess. You ever stolen before? What does that make you if you steal? A thief? Uh, Jesus said, if you look to lust after a woman, you commit adultery in your heart. You ever look to lust after a woman? Pornography or whatever. Yeah, I've done that before. Uh, and well, by your admission, you've admitted to being a lying, thieving, adulterous at heart. Adulterous at heart. You're going to be okay when you die, stand before God. And so many times, just walking somebody through God's righteous standard, namely the Ten Commandments, I, I've helped people see that they're not okay. They're not okay with the Holy God. God doesn't just sweep our sin under the rug. He doesn't just ignore it. It must be taken care of. And the cross uh, is that argument. The cross is, is that solution. Jesus bled a, a, a bloody death for us. He suffered a, a terrible death for us. And that is the wrath of God ultimately poured out on an individual bearing the sin of the whole world. If you want to escape the wrath of God coming upon your life, then run to Jesus. Put your faith in Christ and him alone because Christ took the judgment you and I deserve on the cross. He took the death penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, O Lord. And so that's, that's the good news that we have. Though we deserve death, there is a Savior who came to rescue us. So here's three or four application points. I'm going to land the plane here. So ask God to search you and reveal any hurtful and wicked way within you. 
uh, sin is deceitful. We can justify, we can do mental gymnastics and we can justify our sin. It's easier to see the sins of our roommates, our spouses, our children, our co-workers than it is to see our own, right? Sin is deceitful. And so we need God to search us and reveal any hurtful way within us. We need to look in the mirror of God's word, God's law, and see ourselves in truth. Now remember, we don't take the law. We don't take a mirror and wipe ourselves with it, right? You, you don't. When you look in the mirror and you see, wow, I I need to clean up. I need to take a shower. I need to shave. I need to put some makeup on. I need to fix my hair. Whatever. You you don't expect the mirror to do that job for you. The law does not do that. That's that's Paul's uh, argument um, at the end of Ro- or in Romans three. The law just uh, stops the justifying mouth. And, he, and, it, and it leaves us all guilty before a holy God. That's what it does. It shows us that we're sinners. We've sinned against the holy God. So we look in the mirror of God's law. We see we've sinned against God. It, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Okay? Um, the next one, acknowledge, acknowledge and confess areas of sin in your life. You know, this takes some humility and this takes some transparency. But this is the means that God uses to cleanse us. When we confess, when we acknowledge, when we accept, I'm a sinner. And you know what? Jesus died for sinners. He didn't, he didn't die for perfect people. He didn't die for perfectly righteous people. He died for sinners. And that, that when you acknowledge your, your sinfulness, that qualifies you to receive the benefits of his forgiveness and his cleansing. Do you want to be qualified to receive the benefits of his cleansing and forgiveness? Then acknowledge your sin. Just admit, I've sinned against you, a holy God. And put your trust in Christ. Let the goodness and the beauty and power displayed in creation lead you to gratitude and worship of God. Next time you're, you're drinking a hot cup of coffee on a, on a cool fall morning and the sunrise is coming up and you got worship music playing and and you're just in that glory cloud just just having a sweet time with the lord just be reminded that that god is good and he loves you he's gracious he's compassionate and let that goodness lead you to turn from your sin the goodness of god leads us to repentance uh romans 2 uh, 4 Uh, let it lead you to turn from your sin and put your trust in christ and, and your hope in Him for forgiveness, transformation. And then in evangelism, use, use the logic of Romans 1, 2, and 3 to, to start with atheists, with antagonists, to, to start there as a biblical framework and how to address some of their unbiblical worldviews that they're arguing for. And I would say to, that we should speak the truth in love. So here's, here's what happens typically. When it comes to addressing other pe- just the sin of other people, correcting another person, okay, this can apply to any relationship. So we tend to either, in love, just kind of not say anything, or we tend to uh, just, let's give them the truth and just tell them like it is, without love. So it's like we go to one extreme of like the, the fiery preacher, oh, you're going to hell. Or we go to this extreme, well, I'm just going to love and accept this person as they are and never say anything about their sin. And so we don't, we don't go to those extremes. We be like Jesus who was full of grace and truth, and he addressed sin. Like the, the woman who was, uh, you know, who was sinful and caught in an act of adultery, and he says, go and sin no more. So he didn't condone her sin, but he didn't condemn her for her sin. He gave mercy and grace. And so never condone sin, but also don't ever take the place to condemn others in their sin okay that they they already have the condemnation on their lives if they're living that lifestyle there there are a lot of christians genuine christians who struggle or tempted or have uh, same-sex attractions uh, but don't they don't act upon it and they they realize that it's wrong just like any other sinful um, practice is wrong and so we, one of the ways we can give hope to those struggling with same-sex attraction or to those practicing homosexuality is to remind them that that's not who they are. 
See, one of the lies of the enemy uh, for those in, in that lifestyle is that that's who they are. That's how God made them. That's how God wants them to be. And they, they associate their sexuality with their identity. And they say, this is just who I am. And, and, and it's, it's a lie because Satan gets to the very root of their identity and says, this is who you are. And so they fight for it to say, no, this is who I am. You're, you're, you're not accepting who I am. And God says, no, that's not who you are. That's not how I've designed you. And so for those who struggle with the same-sex attraction, uh, you know, Jesus himself was tempted with sin, yet didn't sin. So it's one thing to have an inclination or a temptation of sin, uh, but it's what you do with it. You can, you can be tempted by any type of sin, but it's what you, when you can reject it like Jesus and not sin, and you can walk in victory over it. Father, thank you so much for your people and your word and your spirit guiding us in what's true and what's right. And we, we acknowledge, God, that we need a power outside of ourselves. We need a righteousness outside of ourselves, and we thank you that that comes through the gospel, and it is imparted into our lives through faith, God, and you deal with the deepest problems of humanity through the gospel. And Lord, may we be faithful to preach that to ourselves, to embrace that, and may we in love and grace communicate the truth and not water it down and not, not, um, not change the message in our day as, as pressure comes, as we're viewed as maybe haters, for having such a, a biblical standard. God, may we be courageous and bold to stand up with biblical conviction, but speak that truth in love and in grace. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I also want to pray for any family members or friends who are in the, the, this, um, this lifestyle that we just talked about. Not just homosexuality, but adultery or fornication, idolatry, just in destructive lifestyles, hurting themselves. God, we pray for the turning of their hearts. We pray that your goodness would lead our friends and family members to repentance and that we would be able to, to show that goodness and kindness through our words, through our actions, and through telling the gospel to, to them, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.